Usually before we get into the Word of God, I have a prayer prepared to pray about a variety of things and also get us ready for the Word. Well, this morning, I do not have a prayer prepared, and I've been pastoring for about 21 years, and this is the first time I feel compelled for a variety of reasons to uh, kneel up here and pray. So I'm going to kneel up here and pray, and if you want, you can kneel as well. Let's pray. You are holy, you are righteous, and even in a physical posture cannot even match what we want to express in our souls, that we truly are unworthy in your presence, left alone. And we only approach your presence because of Christ and what he has done on our behalf on the cross. And now we are told to rush into your presence and worship you. And so we say you're worthy, you're holy, you're righteous. And we are your people who want to serve and worship you. But Lord, we fail. We fail. We fail in private. We fail in public. We sin. We want to confess. We want to confess our heart and angry anger and lust and pride, and greed. We want to repent of division within our church, division within our families, division in even our marriages. And Lord, we are asking you when things seem absolutely impossible for a healing, for a breakthrough, for whatever, we stand, kneel, prostrate before you and cry out to you for mercy, for grace, for healing, for unity, for harmony, for truth. And we ask that you would bring it. We ask you would bring it in our church. We ask you to bring it in our families. We ask you to bring it among our brothers and sisters on campus or, or in life. And Lord, as we confess before you, we realize there is forgiveness, and we thank you that there is reconciliation. There is grace to be had in the cross. And may we seek it through Christ before you and seek it through Christ with one another. And may you do that work within us, especially today as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are told that the old you has died, and the new you is alive in Christ. Old you dead, new you alive. And even in our culture, or you would say in our world, they at times are familiar with these concepts. You can think of the famous song that 
maybe you listen to, maybe you, you don't, by Taylor Swift. Uh, by the way, I repent for doing a Taylor Swift analogy, okay? I'll never do it again, all right? But she has this song that, that says, look what you made me do. Yeah, you know it. Um, and there is an interesting interaction in that song where somebody says, or it says, uh, I'm sorry, but the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because she's dead. Now, it's debatable what she means, and some think that it's Taylor Swift's expression of moving from innocence to maturity. Who cares? <laughs> but there's been a variety of internet memes or images playing off of this song that are, that are kind of funny at times. You can look them up later. Don't look them up now. Look them up later. Uh, for example, they'll say something, they'll show a picture uh, of the old Dora Explorer and the new Dora Explorer with the caption, the old Dora can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. And there's tons of these memes and images. Uh, there's one for uh, Ugly Betty, if you know who that is. An image of her then and now. The old Betty can't come to the phone now. Right now. Why? Because she's dead. There's one of, of Star Wars images. There's one of SpongeBob. I mean, just all these old images and, and, and new images. So it seems like even in the, um, the, the world, is familiar in a trivial way with old life, new life. And even in a non-trivial way, you can talk to people who would say, this is the way I used to be, and this is the way I am now. But I'm just wondering, for the Christian, what does that look like? What does it look like to say, here was our old life, and now we have this new life? I think we pretty much understand the old life, right? If you, if you have repented and put your faith in Christ, you can tell your testimony of your old life. I think about my old life. If there was an image for it, he'll be this 19-year-old punk kid steeped in sexual morality, in greed. Every other word is a cuss word coming out of my mouth. I was angry. I was vile. You would not want to be around me. That is my old life. Christ comes in and invades, repents, put my faith in Christ, and now we have the new life. And you may have a testimony as well. But what does the new life look like? We're pretty sure we understand that the old life can't come to the phone right now because we're dead. But what does the new life look like? And that's what we're going to look at this morning is what's your new life? What is your true identity if you're a follower of Christ? What does your new life look like? And in order to do that, we're going back to the book of Colossians. So you want to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And it's these four verses in Colossians that are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I love this passage here. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and stand as I read the text. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. For those of you who are new and joining us for the first time, I I just want to kind of set a little context of Colossians for you. Uh, As you read uh, New Testament books or letters, this is actually a healthy church in Colossae that the Apostle Paul is writing to about false teachers infiltrating the church. These threats of false teaching coming from the outside is a movement away from the gospel onto some like higher elevation or higher plane. And to combat this false teaching, he spends the letter exalting the supremacy of Christ, and he encourages believers to grow firm in their faith and stand strong in Christ, right? Okay, that's that's kind of what we've been doing. So what we have so far, and we saw it in chapter 2, is that as he is applying the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, he starts with the negative in chapter 2, which we saw the last two weeks in Colossians 2, 8 through 23. He's warning against the false teachers. But now he turns to the positive of the new life in Christ. And as he goes through this positive statement in chapter 3, he's going to link thinking and behavior. Now, if you check out this morning and you want to check back in next week, you're going to think we're talking about a lot of legalism and rules. But what we're going to see is that obedience to Christ, which we'll hit on more next week, springs from an identity in Christ, a love and a grace you've already received. So you don't be a good person to get yourself to heaven. We're not talking about works. You be a good person because you've been transformed and you can live out this life in Christ. It's important because what we're going to see as we go through chapter 3 is we're going to see this linking of thinking with behavior. Basically, he's going to say, think rightly, live rightly. Okay, are you with me? Think rightly, live rightly. There's going to be this linking of thinking with behavior. And I just want to help kind of keep you organized as we go through these big four verses. I'll put up where we're going. We're going to talk about this three parts of identification with Christ and resurrection, identification with Christ and death, and identification with Christ and coming glory. That's where we're going. So let's go back to verse 1. Identification with Christ in resurrection. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So here's this concept of co-resurrection. He's talking about your resurrection in Christ. You may wonder some theological question. You're like, okay, will you be raised in the future or have you already been raised? Will you be raised in the future or have you already been raised? Well, the answer is yes. You will be raised in the future physically, but as for now, you have been raised spiritually. Do you understand that concept? 
you understand what he's getting at here? We saw a little bit of this in earlier in Colossians. I'll put this up for you. You can just look in the word here. Colossians 2 kind of explain this, I think, in verses 12 through 14, where he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. So this resurrection is something that has happened in the past and is a spiritual reality in the present. You ever heard this before? That in God's eyes, you are in Christ and you are now raised in Christ. That's the new you right now. That is the new you right now. Your identity is in Christ. His perfection is your perfection in God's eyes through faith. His acceptance is your acceptance by the Father. His life is your life. So when God views you, he is seeing a holy, righteous, declared child of God through faith in Christ. So you've been raised with Christ. And now you're said to set your mind and your heart, look at it there, look at it there, on things that are above. And don't think just necessarily up, you can, but think in the spiritual realm on things above. So why should you set your mind and your heart on things above? Why, why do that? Because that's where Christ is. And he is your very life. Currently, it says in this text, he is seated at the right hand of God. And as he is seated in the right hand of God, he's seated in a place of all authority over his enemies, in a position of victory over sin, and in a position of access to the Father. So you know what this means. If that's the reality for Christ and you are in Christ, that means that Satan no longer rules you. In Christ, you have victory over sin. And in Christ, you have access to the Father. And the encouragement from this text is for you to think about those things, to set your mind and set your heart on this reality of you are in Christ. These are the heaven realities that are for you right now. Or to say it another way, Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's an ongoing seeking of Christ, learning about him, thinking about the reality, setting your heart before him, and seeing that he is your life. This is very, very important. We're going to say think rightly to behave rightly. Because next week, you know what we're going to say? We're going to talk about putting sin to death. We're going to talk about putting sexual immorality to death next week. You ready for that? And you go, well, how can I put sexual morality to death? It has such a hold on me. But then you've got to come back and say, okay, identity in Christ, Satan has been conquered, and now the command is to walk in holiness. And next week we're going to talk about forgiving one another. You say, well, how can I forgive someone who disses me so much and disrespects me? And then we can talk about, oh, I am forgiven in Christ before my Father. And overflow can be forgiveness. Did you see what we're getting at? We're saying that your identity in Christ is going to impact your behavior. Do not come in here next week and think that we're just talking about be good. That is the flow out of your identity in Christ. And in him, 
you are accepted by the Father. Keep going, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You're like, what? Now, don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying heaven is all good and earth is all bad, so I want you to think about heaven. No, no, take the context of what's going on. He's, he's interacting with these false teachers. And what, the, what are the false teachers emphasizing? They're emphasizing next-level spirituality. And Paul's saying, hey, man, don't do that. You have all you need in Christ. But see, the starting point for the false teachers is earth, okay? They're saying, you need to elevate yourself. You need to, like, maybe worship angels, don't eat some food, eat some food. In our day and time, they would say, you need to give, and then you'll have this abundant blessings. There'll be a lot of false teaching to say, we start with earth, and now you have to be elevated. Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to start with earth. I'm going to start with heaven. <laughs> you have all you need in Christ. You are ultimately elevated in Christ with fullness. And since that's the reality, it can manifest itself in obedience on this earth because you are already at the ultimate level in Christ. This teaching right here struck me and hit me hard in my early 20s and just enraptured me. And, and during that time, the teaching was called the exchange life. Danny, the preacher last week, touched a bit on this. He called it the, the great exchange. Do you get the great exchange? Christ gets your sin... <laughs> And you get his righteousness, which means that you have a new identity in Christ, and the old one is no longer your identity. That's not who you are anymore. And since I learned this, I learned it in Texas in my early 20s. And so in Texas, they would tell this story. I don't know if it's true. I doubt it. But it's a good story. And the story goes something like this. There's this man who lived his whole life on top of this rich oil field, but he didn't know it. He owned it. He worked the land, and he worked so hard just to get by, and he worked tons of hours. My favorite part is he ate beans for his only meal a day. His clothes were all worn out. He was depressed most of the time, and eventually he died. And after his death, it was discovered that the man had his property on top of an oil field worth millions of dollars. Was the man a millionaire or not? Well, the oil was his. He just didn't know about it. And so I, I put it back on you. And I say, hey, you know about it. You know about it. You see, the connection here is that if you are not setting your mind on things above, on the reality of your new identity, if you're not setting your heart on things above, of your new reality, then you are not seeing that you have all you need in Christ. And it will manifest itself in your actions. You'll be scrounging around for meaning. You'll be looking for people to meet your emotional needs. Or maybe you'll be moping around and just very discouraged. 
I mean, if you're here this morning and you need some boy or some girl to tell you how awesome you are before you can be happy in life, well, you know what? Maybe you're going to marry some boy or some girl, and then you're going to be in marriage, and you guys are going to be like clingy, clingy, clingy. Come on, meet my needs. Get you. You're my God. No, right? Or let's just say some, some career. I mean, I mean, just think about it. Think about how depressed some of you students get if you're not cranking certain grades, certain degrees. What's interesting, you may think, oh, once I finally get the degree and get out of this school, there'll be no connection to my future. Oh, no, 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 no. The same insecurities and identity you're seeking while you're in school will manifest itself later in your life at your career or something else. And so I'm just saying, if you're trying to find your identity and who you are at your core in another person, or in what you do, eventually that's going to fall flat. And what we are told here, to look up, oh, in Christ you are accepted. In Christ you are loved. In Christ you have perfect righteousness. In Christ you don't have to crank for acceptance. Your parents may crush you because you're, I don't know, a slacker or something, right? And you may think, I have to please them. I have to please them. And then your whole life, you feel like you have to please God. In Christ, you're accepted by faith. It's your identity. And you are to set your mind on this reality and then make decisions in line with your new identity. Well, let's keep going. Now we have identification in death. We talked about the resurrection part. Now the death part. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we talked about the co-resurrection, but here we're talking about the co-crucifixion with Christ. You have died. You ever heard that before? You died in Christ. Maybe you've heard it from the book of Romans. Romans 6, 3 through 4 expresses a similar idea. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized in his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the old life you used to live apart from Christ, according to the Bible, says that died. You died in Christ. It was a real spiritual death where the old life is crucified. For those of you who like to memorize verses, maybe you've memorized uh, Galatians 2.20. It's a good one. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Your old self, your old life before Christ, being ruled by sin and submitting to Satan is dead, buried, and gone. And you can tell stories. One of the stories I read was about these two sisters who used to just party hard. 
I mean, they were, they were at all the parties. And for God's sovereignty, these, these two girls got saved at the same time. Now, after you start following Jesus, a, a weird thing will happen, right? You have to interact with your old crowd. You shouldn't diss your old crowd. You shouldn't never talk to them again. But you certainly shouldn't party with them again. But the old crowd would, would reach out to them and say, hey, let's, let's go partying. And, and so, you know, they feel the pressure. And so they would respond back. I mean, just imagine getting this text, okay? You ask these girls to go party. And let's just say they respond with this text. Oh, we regret to inform you that we can't come to your party because we died. That's the idea. Now, I'm not going to go back there again. I'm dead. That old way of life... Dead, I still love you. I'm going to care for you. But I'm not going there anymore. I am dead. That's the idea. How about that for a text? Back to verse 3. Look at it. It says, your new resurrected life is said to be hidden with Christ in God. You are for real in Christ. Yeah, I know what's so hard about this. I look at you and I'm like, man, you don't look like you're in Christ. I just see your outside. I just see you sitting there. But the real, for real spiritual reality is that you are said to be hidden in Christ. And we are to take the word and say, well, this is a hidden secret that no one else knows. But we know it because we believe it. And one day that hiddenness will be on display for all to see. But right now it's a hidden secret that we know. One of my favorite singers was this guy named Dennis Jernigan. And I'm telling you, when I was in my 20s and I was learning about this concept of being in Christ, I was going through a lot of hard times. And I remember just taking his music and just thinking about my identity in Christ. Because there was two difficult things going on in, in my early 20s that I kind of that manifest themselves even now. And one of those was... I was uh, in grad school, as many of you are, or what we would call seminary. And I would feel, anybody, anybody like this? I would feel lonely. Oh, I don't know what the deal is. I think it's just because we just study so long by ourselves and we don't interact with other people. I don't know what it is. But just kind of that crushing loneliness. And maybe that's you, right? So you're like, man, I'm so lonely. But also in my 20s, I had this, this massive guilt kind of hanging around because it was a weird thing. Don't want to go into it. But I take care of my, my grandmother, and I just felt like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I am blowing this. I feel so guilty. And for those of you who are caregivers or parents, <laughs> maybe you go to bed at night and go, I am such a bad parent, <laughs> right? And so I had this loneliness and guilt floating around combined, and this is, this is terrible. So I had to think about what the Lord says of me. Is the Lord condemning me? No. Is the Lord with me? Yes. And so what I would do, I would kneel and listen to this one song over and over again by Dennis Jernigan. I'm going to put it up for you. I know most of you will not know this. It's okay. Just listen to the words as I read them. He says, when I cannot feel, when my wounds don't heal, Lord, I humbly kneel, hidden in you. Lord, you are my life, 
So I don't mind to die just as long as I'm hidden in you. And then we go on to the next part, and he would say, if, if I could just sit with you a while, you could just hold me. Nothing could touch me. Though I'm wounded, though I've died, if I could just sit with you a while, I need you to hold me. Moment by moment till forever passes by. You know, we're not just talking about heady stuff here where you're just to think about your reality in Christ. It's also a reality where you get ministered to by the Father as you are in Christ. So we have this concept of co-resurrection, co-crucifixion. Well, let's do a little talking about the future. Can we do that? Identification with Christ in coming glory. Look at verse 4. Let's finish up here. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory, all right? So we have the co-resurrection, points to our spiritual resurrection now, but it also points to a physical one later. Later, you will be physically raised. Like when you die, your spirit goes to be with the Lord, your body's somewhere on this earth. And in the future, the coming of Christ, your body and your spirit are joined back together and you're with the Lord bodily, right, forever. Okay? And so this, this idea of this later physical resurrection is supposed to encourage you now to live in line with your future physical reality in Christ forever bodily resurrection. And there's other passages in the Bible about this. One is from Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, you see it there, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the future, resurrection's coming. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We are waiting for a future physical resurrection. And right now, we are to live in line with that future reality. So, so do you, you get it? You get it? So in Christ now, we have this permanent, eternal reality in Christ, spiritually raised now. But there's also this future coming reality where we'll be physically raised with him forever. Now, check this out. That's what we're supposed to do is that we have this permanency of identity in Christ, and yet now we are always changing. We are changing to become more like Christ because now we have that identity in Christ, we can live a life of obedience. And over time, we change to become more and more like Jesus, more and more like our future reality. And you know what this means? This means that you can start to make decisions now in line with your future reality, okay? Think rightly, live rightly. So here we go. So you have this knowledge of the future that one day you're going to have separation from sin forever, right? So your identity, you're in Christ, forgiven, but one day there's going to be separation. So now you live a life of holiness. You also know that your future reality is that you'll have all that you need in Christ. You already do, but you will see it manifested in the future. So right now means you can take risk. So for those of you who are not taking a risk for the kingdom right now, 
You're trying to milk this life for the way it is. But there's a coming future reality, which means you can risk your time and you can risk your money because you're looking forward. And the same can be said with regard to forgiveness. For those of you who are not forgiving others, you are forgiven in Christ and you look forward to the permanency of unity in heaven. There's supposed to be forgiveness now. These are commands of seeking the things that are above, setting your heart and mind on things above. And for those of you who say, well, this is just escapism. You guys are just doing some spiritual escapism. Not according to the Bible. The Bible says you need to let your new life overflow to your life on this earth. And as you let your life overflow, it will give you perspective and purpose and power. So in just a minute, we're actually going to do this. We're going to set our mind on things above, but then you're going to leave here and go eat and do whatever and live your life the rest of the week, and then you don't have to do it then, right? How about this coming week? Start getting into a pattern. You wake up each day and kind of do this reset. Reset in your mind, reset in your heart, and you think of kind of a bigger picture, a picture of the kingdom reality that you are really loved in Christ forgiven in Christ, accepted in Christ, and out of that identity will flow obedience and love and forgiveness and risk and all those other things. So let's take the time right now, and if you want, bow your heads, and I'm going to pray for us as we set our minds right now and our hearts on things above. So let's pray. If you have come here this morning and you're caught up in the stuff, you know what it is, a relationship, substance, some type of abuse to get needs met, identity, happiness, throw that off. Throw that onto Christ. Throw that off and know that you're forgiven, accepted, and loved. And if you're there this morning and you are in Christ and you feel condemned, you feel like God's wrath is going to take you out right now, through faith in Christ, you are safe, not because you're inherently good, because Christ is absolutely perfect. And if you're here this morning and you think there is no way of being free from the controlling power of sin, may you see that in Christ, the power of sin has been broken. For those of you who feel rejected, know that you are loved in Christ. And it's not that the Father just tolerates you. He loves you but does not like you. That is not the case. His heart is set on you in Christ, so much so that he sent his son to die for you. And you are full in Christ. You have all that you need for life and godliness in Christ. You may be suffering. You may be in great pain. But keep coming back to your hiddenness and hide yourself in Christ. And Lord, I I just ask, that by your word, your spirit, 
even the communion we're about to take, that somehow you will infiltrate the minds and the hearts of your people and give them a worshiping joy. See that in you and you alone, they have everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.